Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear friends, recently on the Biography Channel I saw a fascinating broadcast of the life and the times of Sir Winston Churchill. Sir Winston Churchill, who undoubtedly was one of the most dynamic and one of the most influential and outstanding characters of the modern era. Indeed, he was the man declared by Time magazine to be the man of the 20th century. To anyone who knew Churchill, it came as no surprise that Churchill had a hand in planning his own funeral. What did come, though, as a surprise is what happened at his funeral taking place in London's impressive St. Paul's Cathedral back in early 1965. The service included many of the great hymns of the church, and it used the dignified and the eloquent Anglican liturgy, which is so similar to our own. And then at service's end, right after the benediction, a lone bugler that was positioned high up above in the dome of that massive cathedral intoned, the somber sounds of taps, that universal signal that says the day is over, a beautiful fitting end to a long and a dignified career to a dynamically lived life. But to the surprise of most, that wasn't the end. Instead, things then took a dramatic turn, for Churchill himself had instructed as soon as taps was finished, and its echo had vanished from the vast sanctuary down below, another lone bugler, positioned high on the other side of the dome of the great cathedral, would play the notes of reveille. That bugler's morning call, the sounding and the summoning of sleepers to rise, and the first foundation of a brand new day, that was Churchill's final word to what he knew would be a watching world, not taps, but reveille, which on this Easter morning, dear friends, is it for you? Is it taps or is it reveille? What was it for those first disciples who actually eyewitnessed the crucifixion and the death of our Lord Jesus? Was it taps for them or was it reveille? You know, when one looks at the words of our text for today or at any of the other gospel accounts that we have of what happened on this phenomenal day so long ago, when we see what the disciples' mindset was at the particular time. Those Gospels that report the reactions of the disciples to Jesus' death, one gets the distinct feeling that there were a lot of taps that were being played, and certainly not yet a reveille. Devastated by what they had seen happen on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to see the one in whom you had placed all of your hopes and all of your dreams for the future suspended upon a tree, hanging there dead and lifeless, a horrific death and the one in whom they'd placed their future, the disciples must have felt like helpless victims of their own sin. They must have felt like victims also of the sins of others. They must have felt like helpless and hopeless victims of circumstances in the world over which they had absolutely no control. To them, at first, at least, sin had done its worst. Their sins, so it seemed, were far bigger 
And the man of whom John the Baptist had earlier said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To them it seemed that this one who was going to take away the sins of the world had indeed been taken away by sin instead. It clearly appeared that sin had taken him away and from their perspective. At that point in time, sin and death most certainly was holding Jesus down. Sin will do that, you know. Sin, look at your own life, separates us not only from one another, but sin certainly takes people away from us. And sin holds people down, even in the ground. Sin does that, you know. It separates people, it takes people away, and sin's death will hold people down. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, just as through one, or Paul said, just as through one man sin entered the world, death then came through sin. So he said, death is spread unto all men. Why? Because all have sinned. Sin puts us down. Isaiah calls it a shroud that envelops all people. A shroud that folds all of humanity in. The sheet, he says, that covers all of the nations. It's that common denominator of us all, isn't it? And it certainly isn't a respecter of age. Evident just this past Friday morning as it came to a dear brother in Christ, Chris Heinz, a young man of 41 years old, called home to heaven only months after his father, who died unexpectedly in January. Neither is death a respecter of wealth or of fame. The recent diagnosis of pancreatic cancer of actor Patrick Swayze reminds us of the early death of a different young actor some years ago. Remember him, Michael Landon of Ponderosa or Little House on the Prairie fame, who summed up the feelings of a lot of folks facing death head on when he said, whatever you have to do, do it now because there are only so many tomorrows. And so in the face of it all, whether it was the disciples or, or us in our times and remembering all that the disciples of the Lord had seen of sin and, and the powerful impact that sin has upon people's lives and what death can do, Jesus, they thought, was down. Is it any wonder that they were to be sure then horribly frightened and that they fled in fear for their lives at the time of not only Jesus' arrest, but later on when they huddled together then in the locked upper room? Why does it say? Because of fear that they were huddled there. And our text for today tells us that the women were doing the same thing that the men were. It's not a respecter of gender either. The women were doing the same thing that the men were. They were afraid. Fear not, the angel told them. Why? Because obviously they were afraid. Alarmed, St. Luke says. Trembling, bewildered, Scripture says. A terrified bunch, men and women alike, frightened into silence. Because to them it clearly appeared, very succinctly, it clearly appeared that sin and death and Satan had won again. Reminds me of what I read about a display in the magnificent Louvre Museum in Paris, France, the dramatic painting of Goethe's Faust. Faust is seated at a table. He's engaged in a competitive game of chess. And at first glance, it looks for certain that Faust is losing. His opponent in the chess game, of course, thinking of Faust, is none other but Satan. 
The devil sits there grinning smugly and he thinks that he has the victory in hand. He's pointing at the chessboard and he's got an evil leer and he's gloating. And as you look at the painting, you can almost hear the devil shouting, checkmate. The game is over, I win. However, a person with a keen eye who knows the game of chess can also see as he looks at the picture that the match isn't over at all. As a matter of fact, just a few years ago, an internationally famous chess player was admiring the painting when all of a sudden he lunged forward and he looked at the painting closely and he exclaimed, wait a minute, look there, Faust has another move and that move will give him the victory. Think of that first Holy Week so long ago. You look at the cross on Good Friday as we did this Friday. And the man and the women with Jesus saw it in all of its ugly reality and it looks at first glance like evil had won. It looks like the defeat of righteousness. It looks like goodness is dead and that is buried forever. It looks like Christ has been silenced and he's been conquered. But that's not the case. In the very midst of what appeared to be his defeat, Christ was making moves. Making the moves through the spaces on the board, if you will. From the upper room of the supper, he moves to the space of the garden of Gethsemane, to the space of the judgment halls of Caiaphas, and then over here to the judgment halls of Pilate, and then over here back again to the palace of, of Herod, and back to Pilate, and then finally he goes to the space of the cross, to the cross where then, amazingly, Christ checkmates the prince of darkness by taking our sin upon himself so that the devil may never ever cry out checkmate against you never in all of eternity and then easter morn dawns and its light reveals god's move in all of its resurrected glory checkmate to be sure the greatest checkmate indeed of all of history christ who appears to be but upon checkmates the king of evil. And that's why, dear friends, of all days, this holy Easter day is so indispensably important to our faith. That's why this day is indispensably important to our future and to eternity. It is, as the words of the angel of God first told the women, that important day that tells us that the tomb has been vacated. And that is vitally important to us. Fear not, the angel said. You come to seek Jesus who was indeed crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Those are words that declare for all time and for all people to hear that the game for your life and for your eternity is indeed over. And in Christ, checkmate. We've won. It's not taps for you. It's reveille. Checkmate. Reveille. Call it what you will. Words about a resurrected reality confirmed, verified, not simply by a handful of frightened men who then saw him and spoke with him in the very room to which they had fled in fear. Not simply by a handful of trembling and bewildered women who saw him and then spoke to him on the very path which they had taken as they fled from the tomb in fear. 
To be sure, the testimony of those men, the testimony of those women, would have been all that was needed to be compelling enough evidence to convince any reasonable soul that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead and to respond then with the church throughout the ages by saying, He is risen, He is risen indeed. But to the eyewitness testimony of these men and these women who saw Him alive, not simply one time, not even twice, but repeatedly saw him alive after his death, we must certainly add the testimony of the hundreds of whom the Apostle Paul speaks in his inspired words, which likely became one of the first creeds of the Christian church. These words that we heard at the first service today, for I delivered unto you as of first importance, Paul says, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared unto Cephas, and then to the twelve, and he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom are alive even now, though some have died. That is not the sound of taps. That is the sound of reveille. That's resurrection reality. That's the bugler summoning us to face our sins and say, what charge do you have against me? None, I dare say, because the resurrection of my Lord Jesus Christ is my divinely signed guarantee and receipt that my sins have been paid for in full. It's my eternal guarantee that God now holds nothing against me. Checkmate. I've won. It's the bugler sounding that Reveille, waking us to the words of our risen Lord, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Because I live, you, Jesus said, shall live also. And we do. We as resurrected people do, day in and day out in the midst of a fallen world with its sins and our sins, God is moving us also day by day from this space to that space and to the other space sustaining us through his word as he does, connecting us through the very body and blood of his risen son to Christ's great victory and to his death and also to the victory over death and the devil that occurred for us in the distant past. He's taking on sin and every other opponent of Christ in our lives and saying no more of it. Enough of this. You're no longer in control here. Remembering the inspiring account of General Jonathan Wainwright, who was captured by enemy troops and then held as a, a prisoner of war in the Manchuria concentration camp. Remember that cruelly treated this General Wainwright as he was being held in that Manchurian camp, gradually became a broken and a crushed and a hopeless and a starving man. But then finally, the enemy surrendered. The war came to an end. And immediately a United States Army colonel was sent from Allied headquarters to the concentration camp to announce personally to the general that the enemy had been defeated and that he was now free and this General Wainwright was now in command himself. And when Wainwright heard the news, sitting there as he was in his cell in Manchuria, you know what he did? He calmly got up, quietly, in his usual dignified manner, he returned to his quarters, and as he did, he was confronted by some guards who began to mistreat him as they had so often done in the past. And then, 
That's when Wainwright, with the news of the Allied victory still fresh in mind, looked at those guards squarely in the eye, declared with convincing authority, no, men, not anymore. I am now in command here, and these are my orders. And from that moment on, because of that distant victory, General Wainwright was firmly in control. My friends, Christ won the greatest conflict of all the ages. And because of his distant victory, brought to us today through his word that we hear, through his sacrament that we receive, because of that distant victory, we can declare with his authority to every one of life's foes, to Satan, to sin, to death, and all that would assault and all that would assail us to gain control, we can declare with his authority, no, not anymore. Not anymore because I'm standing now on resurrection ground and the risen Lord Jesus Christ is in control here. That's not the sound of retiring taps. That's the sound of resurrection revelation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.